Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the New Standard on this beautiful Saturday morning. I always have my partner in crime to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? Amen, Lance. Beautiful Saturday indeed. I'm excited to be here. I hope your fourth was good. I hope the desserts went down well. I'm bummed you didn't get me any pictures of them, but uh, you can you can mail them to me. They're able to they're they're able to package things in a refrigerated box now for for cheap. It's not that expensive. Speaking of that, let me give a a, a big shout out to my uh, to my aunt that does desserts, and I'll put the link on here called Sweet Inspirations LLC. Go. I will uh, I will shoot that to you, Neil. She is from Pittsburgh as well. She does a, a, a host of delectable sweets. So I'll put that in the chat. If you guys are looking for some sweets to give to your honeys, you can uh, support oh, yeah. my that, aunt. That too. <laughs> you know, yeah, that 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 too. But as always, some things, one of, some things she's not going to know about, Lance. <laughs> big We're up to Corey. Take care of that ourselves. Big up Double H. Big up Steelers Freak. Uh, big up to everybody in the chat. And as always, before we hop into the program, if you want to participate via podcast, uh, make sure you go to your podcast feeder and do a search for the new standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong and go ahead and subscribe to the show. You can also find us live on YouTube at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can find a show on YouTube by doing a search for Lance Williams and Neil Kulong or Lance Williams and Steelers or the new standard Neil Kulong, any combination of the names and you will find the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend and like the program and please subscribe if you're listening to the program um, and you have not. The title of this particular program is what five things have to happen for the Steelers to win the AFC North. And because it's two of us, we're going to make it six. We're going to give you an extra one. So we have it split a little even down the middle. And we're going to try to give you some serious things that we think have to happen for them to win the AFC North. Not Joe Burrow has to miss 12 games or Deshaun Watson gets suspended indefinitely for the rest of his career or Lamar Jackson gets converted into being a running back and they play J.K. Dobbins at quarterback in Baltimore. No, we're going to try to give you some serious uh, categories. Big up to Ahmad Jamal, my man. Big up to A.J., my man from L.A. from back in the day. I've known A.J. for probably over 30 years. Big up to A.J. Big up to Richard Kokorian. Thank you for chiming in, gents. And uh, we're going to start this off with Neil Kulong's first. And so, again, we're going to break into six things that have to happen for the Steelers to win the AFC North. And that, number one, is not for Ben Roethlisberger to return as the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, Neil, I'm going to turn it over to you. What's your first one, Neil? I'm going to preface this first, Lance, by saying that all of this is a very, 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 big if and the ones that i selected um i aimed more for um not necessarily just results-based stats although one of mine is it's more in these things will have to happen uh for them in, in order for them to be competitive within what i think is is you know maybe the best division in football definitely the the one of the two best divisions in football um the first one that I have is division wins. And the reason I say that is mostly because uh, tie-breaking scenarios, 
the first criteria within the division is head to head. Um, you're going to need that, obviously. That, that's that's the biggest thing. Head to head is a divisional win, and the second tiebreaker is uh, divisional record, and a, a divisional win obviously affects your divisional record. So, if, if we break this down mathematically, of the Steelers' three opponents that they have, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Baltimore, while that has favored them generally recently, you are asking to have to uh, it, to win the division. You probably need a minimum of three wins. Minimum. I think with that, with the Steelers this year, it's probably going to be four because they're playing in a very good division and um, they don't have what I feel to be a great schedule in front of them anyway. They're going to have to win that advantage outright. They're going to have to win the tiebreaker as early as they can, considering how hard it's going to be to sweep any of the three teams in the division. Now, I know that they did that against Baltimore and Cleveland last year. They've swept Baltimore two years in a row. Can you really count on five and six consecutive wins over the Ravens? That's unprecedented. In the history of the Ravens and Steelers, not the Browns, the Ravens and Steelers, not, no team has, has beaten the other one six times in a row. So I don't like their odds of doing that. Historically, it certainly doesn't look good. And I think that they're both pretty competitive teams. Now, you look at Cleveland. I understand the big move that they made this offseason and how that is going to kind of be dicey early on in the year they're going to be a good football team with Deshaun Watson on the field I don't think they're a bad team necessarily without Deshaun Watson with Jacoby Brissett under center which is what looks like they're looking to do they're going to be competitive because they have playmakers on defense they're able to move the ball offensively a little bit that's not an easy team to beat the Steelers in, in the first of the two games last year against Cleveland when Cleveland was actually competitive and, and trying they clearly weren't in that that second game but in the first one it was 15 to 10 and Cleveland had I don't know I lost track at about 36 different chances to win that game and they probably should have to be honest um, it, it, it's it's going to be a battle it's going to be uh, physical the way that it was that Halloween day game and winning those games consistently is really really hard to do over the course of a couple of years so the Steelers are going to have to get three or four division wins, which means that they have to split with everybody or they have to sweep somebody. Who's that going to be? I don't know. That That's that's tall. That's a tough order. But if they can get four wins in the division, I think that you will see them be competitive uh, throughout uh, much of the race. Now, I, stupid me, I didn't pull up the schedule. But from what I recall, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the bulk of their divisional games are at the end of the schedule this year. So uh, if they're able to hang around uh, reasonably competitive, be a, a 500-ish type of team, and down the stretch they get three or four divisional games in their last five or six, they might have a chance to steal it late at the end because that tiebreaker is going to be something they have to win. Keep in mind, last year they finished a half game behind Cincinnati. Now, I know that Cincinnati boat raced them twice last season. Cincinnati finished 10-7. and seven. Pittsburgh was 9-6-1. and one. If you take keep the tie in place, if they win any of the games that they lost, the Steelers somehow were division champions last year. Cincinnati went to the Super Bowl. They were clearly the superior team, but that's how it works out when uh, tiebreakers get involved. You have to be able to get around those, and the best way to do that is within your own division. That's a conference win as well as a divisional win, and those are, uh, outside of head-to-head, -head, those are the primary factors of the tiebreaker. So that's number one for me, Lance. So to your point, Neil, uh, about the schedule, the Steelers in week one have the Bengals, of course. Week three, they have the Browns. So, 
in their first three games, you get two divisional games, but then they don't have a divisional game again. And yeah, correct me if I'm it. wrong, till week 11 yeah. against Cincinnati. And then so they got after, four of them in their last eight games. They got four in their last eight. Correct. That's uh, that that's going to be critical. And if imagine the Steelers are able to go one and one on that right away, in my opinion, I think they're going to be competitive for that very reason. When you have to take on those teams later in the year, that the whole the whole context of your season changes as it goes. Really, the, the best way to look at a season, in my opinion, is in quarter increments. Now that that gets thrown off this year with one game, yes. maybe we throw out Week One just because Week One is always fluky. I.e., the Steelers winning at Buffalo last year, which is still hilarious to me how that happened but uh, take that one game get rid of it it's a division game this year but from then on you're looking at quarter season increments it's a lot that can change there's a lot that can change so if, if you have the ability to play better football later in the year and more of your division games are then i think you have a better chance of winning the division overall and for cleveland that's going to be particularly true considering they're not going to have their quarterback for at least half the season I don't think that's going to be a full season. We're not going to get into that because the show's long enough already. But I don't expect him, don't expect Deshaun Watson to miss this entire season. I don't think that's going to happen. So Cleveland is going to get a lot better later in the year. And that that's going to be a problem. So the Steelers uh, are going to need to be even better later in the season when they, they have to play Cleveland a second time, uh, probably with Watson. My number one is, and I'm going to post it here, my number one is the Steelers are a top five red zone offense. Now there's a caveat to that because you can be a top five offense, but not get a lot of red zone attempts. So coupled with being a top five red zone offense, I think they also need to be top five in red zone attempts. Um, this offense I think is going to be challenged to score a lot of points and when you look at top five red zone offenses last year buffalo was number one they averaged 29.8 points per game tampa bay was number two they averaged 29.8 of course both of those teams made the playoffs seattle was number three 23.2 correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think seattle made the playoffs last year no, um, no. no san francisco was three was four at 24 uh, points per game and the chargers uh, were 27.9 points per game those are your top five red zone offenses so basically if you get a lot of attempts in the red zone and you're very efficient and good in the red zone you're going to score a ton of points and the key thing and, and this might tie into one of neil's i'm going to guess is one of neil's is is, is point differential to be a team that's going to win the AFC North and a team that's going to potentially compete for the Super Bowl, you're going to have to have a point differential, I would say at minimum, of five points per game. You're going to have to be beating teams on average by five points per game to, I think, compete and challenge for the AFC North. So my number one is, of course, again, the Steelers are a top five team in the red zone in terms of efficiency and a top five team in terms of attempts in the red zone. They need to be getting a lot of attempts and they need to convert on those temps, attempts, in my opinion, to win the AFC North. What's your thoughts on that one, Neil? I think um, I, I think you're on the right track. And, and I would say it's conversion perhaps more than anything else. This, unfortunately for the Steelers, um, is going to be Another example, and we've seen this a couple of times in the last five years, their record is going to be strongly tied to how good Chris Boswell is. 
And when it comes to Chris Boswell making a difference overall, it's really his 40 to 49 range. Now, this is not one of the, the stats that I would use, just piggybacking off what you're saying. Boswell is one of the best kickers in the game. And a huge part of that is because the, the real difference in my mind is not 50 plus. It's 40 to 49. If you are all but automatic in that range, which Boswell is, and his opponent tends to not be, uh, especially at Heinz Field, you're looking at a, a pretty significant advantage. And I, I think that comes into red zone scoring a little bit. I'm, I'm not measuring it in front of me right now, but um, it, you're in the red, you're in the back part of the red zone. If you're kicking 47, I think um, 46, maybe somewhere in there, those are big kicks. Those are not gimmies for, for anybody really that that's not the easiest thing in the world to hit. If he can convert that, <clears throat> that's good. The Steelers are going to need to get closer and they're going to need to, to put the ball in the end zone. In other words, if if the majority of Boswell's kicks are 40 to 49 and the Steelers are scoring, that's going to mean that they are a, a, an excellent red zone touchdown scoring team because they get inside the 10, the five, and they're able to, to get it home. If he's not kicking from 20 yards out consistently, which would mean they failed um, within the five or 10 or whatever, um, you're, you're looking at a team that is probably scoring above uh, what I would think they'd be able to. So I, I would agree with that. And the larger point that you're making too is it, it's about efficiency. Um, you're going to get into this in a little bit, but they're going to need to be able to convert touchdowns on that because I don't know how often they're going to be able to get within the 10. So maybe it's like half the red zone here um, to, to discuss two different areas of that getting to field goal range versus driving into the end zone, not having to rely on 40 yard plays uh, in, in, in order to score touchdowns. I, that's probably going to be more the Steelers speed. They're going to have to move the ball. And that in and of itself is still a red zone stat. It's a product of red zone success. Um, that's something that is impacted by uh, your, your personnel decisions, your play calling, um, your, your strategy, as well as the players out on the field, actually, you know, playing the game. So uh, you touch on a, an important issue. I think there are a lot of things that come with that, but the bottom line, I think most people would agree, successful red zone teams tend to be better teams and unsuccessful Absolutely. red zone teams tend to not be very good teams. The Steelers don't have any margin for error. You and I both agree on that. They're going to have to be uh, highly successful in that area in, in order to compete in a very good division for a division title. So let's jump into your number two one, and I'm glad you talked about that because the one thing I think is lost in red zone stats is its attempts. Because I remember one year the Raiders were number one in the red zone, but they only averaged like two and a half red zone attempts yeah. a game. And so they were converting like one of those every time. So they were did, like, but... <laughs> you know, so they <laughs> didn't score. Yeah, they didn't score a ton of points, but they converted the you know, the one of the two that they did. So they were like 50% in the red zone. So they were like super high in the red zone. So it's attempts and it's conversion. So give me your number two, Neil, in terms of what has to happen for the Steelers to win the AFC North. Number two, and you, you touched on it earlier, for me is point differential. Now, this is not necessarily something that's tied game to game. Um, you obviously lose ground and point differential if you lose the game, but over the course of the season, one of the, the main trends that we see since 2014, and I stopped looking at 2014. Since 2014, there have only been three division champions who had a negative point differential. Two of them are the Houston Texans in, in 2016, which was a terrible division, and 2019, 
which was a terrible division. Not very good football coming out of the AFC South back in those days. Houston won it despite I, I stupidly didn't write down the number for some reason, but they were negative 55 in, in 2016. Um, that's by far the, the most outlier uh, that I saw in, in the years that I reviewed. The third one is 2014, the Carolina Panthers, who finished 7, 8, and 1 and won the division and somehow won a playoff game that year too. Uh, they were pretty far down the scale. I, I think that the correlation that we're seeing is, uh, for obvious reasons, the more wins you have, the more positive your differential is going to be. Are the Steelers able to be as successful of a scoring team as they are a scoring prevention team? That's kind of a mark of, of a championship-level team. And if we talk about a division champion, it's probably anywhere between 9 and 14 wins. Those wins mean you you scored more points than your opponent. The difference of that in winning a game is is kind of inconsequential, and so therefore week to week it doesn't matter as much. At the end of the season, though, when you add it all up, they will have done that in in a, a pretty successful level if they are division champions. And we know that we look back on it. Most of the division champions, eight of them throughout the league over the last nine seasons, have, were over plus one hundred and and above. Uh, they weren't people hovering around zero very often. So if, if it really what this says is if you allow 17 points a game, which is an outstanding number, something that I think the Steelers are capable of doing, you overall, you need to do better than score 18 or 19 points. You're not going to win those kinds of games very often. You need to score. Absolutely. The league average is 24 points a game. The Steelers scored 20 last season, and somehow they won nine games and tied one. That's not going to happen again, <laughs> okay? I know that if not you go back to our, our shows from last year, you'll hear me talking about how bad this team is up and down, and they just kept winning to the point. I said at the end of the year, the only thing this team does well is win games. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it, it was, yeah. It was the weirdest, flukiest season you're ever going to see. I would legitimately argue that the 2021 Steelers are the worst Steelers team we've seen in 20 years. They, they were not a good football team. They somehow won games. Somehow they won games. The Buffalo game, they should not have won. The Tennessee game, they should not have won. I don't think Baltimore or Cleveland at the end of the year showed up at all. Because keep in mind, um, Cincinnati, the division champ, destroyed them twice. Kansas City, the, the team that lost to Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game, destroyed them twice. They weren't on a high level, but they managed to, to fight and claw their way. Steelers point differential last season, negative 55. They grossly overachieved last year. Okay. We see that a lot of this is 343 points scored versus 398 allowed, which I think was the highest they've allowed in a long time. I mean, that that's a really bad number. That was, that was the highest in the division for sure. Yeah. Six points higher than the Ravens who were 392, which is also very uncharacteristic for them. Just for, for reference, for example, the Buffalo bills, uh, the, the, what the two seed in the AFC, or three, were they three seed? They were three seed. Three seed. They allowed 194 points, 11 and six record. The Patriots, who did not make the Patriot, Patriots, who got destroyed by the Bills. Sorry, I don't know why I just said that. Uh, got destroyed by the Bills in the first round, gave up 100. Their, their point differential was 159. I don't know how good the Patriots were. Statistically, in, in most ways, they were better than the Steelers were. So I, I'm just you know, kind of cherry picking uh, good examples here uh, from the AFC. The Chiefs were 116. Um, 
the Raiders, another playoff team, was negative 65. So there, there are anomalies that come with this, but it, it speaks to the ability, obviously, to win more games. But it, it's it you need to be above that zero mark. And in my opinion, if you are a good team, like you said earlier, Lance, I don't know if it's five points per game. That's pretty steep uh, overall. But if you're a good team, you're not winning every game by one point. Consistently throughout history, the best teams, it, it's it's not an average of five points a game. That's a lot over the course of a season. But uh, if, if you look at it um, throughout history, teams in one or two point games tend to kind of hover around 500. And if you're up, particularly in those areas, historically, you tend to fall. In other words, let's say the 2017 Steelers, which I think is the best example in NFL history of this, they were a team that had an uncanny knack for winning every single close game they played. Yeah. And got Chris Boswell, MVP of that team. Okay. I understand everything that came with Antonio Brown freaking out and everything, but Boswell was legitimately the MVP of that game, uh, that, that season. He hit so many clutch kicks. He had to hit seven against Cincinnati to beat them by three. I think that in, in one of the two games they beat them that year, they won so many close games. And what happened next season? He wasn't all that good, and they lost most of their close games. That tends to be, from a statistical standpoint, that tends to be more of what actually happens. You can't win. You can't go 8-0 in games decided by three points or less. It just doesn't happen. If you do, you're far more likely to go 0-8 in the same situation the next year. Teams tend to even out. This is every team throughout the course of, of NFL history. So, in my opinion, they need to be above that just to because it will show they are a team that can deny points as well as score them. And I have I think they'll be able to deny points. I think they're going to be a very good defensive team. I don't trust that their offense is going to be good enough. And with that, if if you're able to go 500 in close games, good for you, but typically speaking, you don't do that. So this, yeah, this is absolutely. a team that could go two and six in that situation. If they go two and six, they're not winning the division. So, yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. Good teams and teams that win divisions and teams that are competing for Super Bowls hammer teams. I mean, you 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 know when you're looking at a good team, they hammer teams week in and week out. And you can put it down because I've looked at points differential over the last several years as well. And you know, for instance, this Buffalo Bills team, they gave up. 17 a game and they scored 28 a game i mean that's a difference of 12 points that's almost 12 points that's an 11 point difference i mean so what that tells you is they're a damn good team because they are smashing teams week in and week out i mean when you're trying to coordinate in, in a, multiple ways yes you know, it's not just one ways. thing they're not yes. they're, they don't have just a fastball they've got multiple pitches and i'm gonna you get know, to, i'm when, glad you brought that up i'm gonna get to that because buffalo you know, is kind of the weird tie into my next one you know, they're they're hammering teams. And when you're trying to coordinate 11 dudes to do the right thing over and over and over and over and over again, you can't play in close games all year and hope to survive. If you're playing yeah. in close games, you you're going to lose. You're going to lose probably half of them to three quarters of them, or you just may get lucky like they did that one year. That's a great point. Because typically when you look at Super Bowl teams, it's probably the Super Bowl winner. It's usually around seven. It's usually about seven points per game. It's usually a touchdown to 10 points. The most ridiculous point differential number. And, 
You know, had this team won, they would have been considered the greatest team in history. That Patriots team that finished 18 and one, I think they were beating teams like 400 at like 21 like points a game. It was like they were <laughs> averaging like 38 and giving up like 17. Yep, and they, they really throw game. they really throw a wrench into this whole thing. But at the same time, that that's it was, it was, there's it was, a reason the Giants were 11 point underdogs in that game, and it's typically seen as the best, the biggest upset um, since the the Jets over the Colts in Super Bowl three. I mean, that was a massive massive outlier. And and I think Steelers freak brings up a good point um, about averaging 27 points per game. I mean, if you're going to win a Super Bowl. That's probably the number. If you're going to win a division, it doesn't have to be that high. You can win a division and not average 27. You're probably not going to win a Super Bowl and average, you know, I would challenge that. I don't, I don't think you, the playoffs are a different beast. You're not playing the same way. Um, It's, you think of it like this over the course of a season, if you have, let's make up a play here, Lance. This is our special. All right. Razor right 80. These things happen on Razor Right 80. You run those in week one. The next week, you're aware that that play worked. You liked how the execution worked. You've already put it on film, though. So you want to add a variation to it. So now it's Razor Right 81. So there's a little stunt to it or something. <laughs> you're going to continue to build on that throughout the year, not wanting to put a lot of the same stuff on film. At the same time, you also have stuff in your back pocket to use uh, for must-win situations, which is the the playoffs defined. Razor right eighty-three. Yeah, maybe it maybe it's as simple as razor right eighty-three. You're not going to call that play, but in the playoffs, you will, and you will also prepare for that. You have much more unknown working for you in the playoffs than you do during the regular season. So it, it's you're preparing differently. You're going to call the game differently. Um, Todd Haley talked about this often. You you don't want to duplicate even the successful things too much there's a base that you'll use that, that you know you run 66 plays you can't have 66 new plays every week you've got to have kind of a standard that, that you use but when it comes to the playoffs Belichick is a master of this they have a completely different offensive defense when it comes to the playoffs and they they slowly work on it throughout the year to prepare for that and then when you when they're in there they can call a bunch of new plays and you don't know what the results necessarily will be this is why the Patriots for a long time utterly destroyed every team that they played in the AFC divisional round. They'd have a week off. The other team has put another game of film out and the Patriots with that rest and the, the opportunity to work on all this new stuff would go out and just blow the doors off whoever they played because you couldn't prepare for them. And it, the Steelers got destroyed by him in the AFC championship game, but largely for the same reasons. They, they, they're such a well-prepared group. It, it's the, the playoffs are a completely different animal is, is really what I'm saying. I don't think that they're ne- necessarily their season average matters a whole lot. I think we just saw a Super Bowl that was what, 23-20, something like that, between two teams that scored a lot of points um, during the regular season. Getting into the playoffs, though, is a requirement to win a Super Bowl. So most teams aim to get into the playoffs necessarily. They're not trying to get into the Super Bowl in week six. They're trying to, to get what they need to advance into the playoffs where they can kind of reset themselves and, and play a different style of football. I think you're spot on there. Um, let me go into my number two. Um, and my number two one, as I type it here, is Steelers defense is top five in takeaways. And me and Neil talked about this a little bit uh, to start the program. And 
I'm not talking about margin because I, I think a lot of times you can get confused with margin. I mean, you could lead the league in takeaways. You could get 100 takeaways, but if you give up 80, I mean, your margin is plus 20. Or if you give up 90, it's plus 10. Or if you give up 95, it's plus 5. So the key margin is important, but again, I think for this team to be successful to win the AFC North, the Steelers' defense must be top five in takeaways. And you look at the top five teams last year in takeaways, the Cowboys 34, the Colts 33, Colts didn't make the playoffs, the Bills 30, the Pats 30, and the Chiefs 29. And I want to key on the Chiefs. Can you imagine how difficult it is to beat the Chiefs when the Chiefs get 29 takeaways, giving that offense an, an additional possession or giving the Bills offense a, an additional possession? I mean, when you're giving teams additional possessions that are good offensively, you're going to lose. Much much of everything about football is a math game. You know, it, it, it's 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 a not complicated math, but it's 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 math. You want to have the advantage in numbers in certain areas of the field, uh, blocking schemes. It's all about numbers and advantage and how it plays out in numbers. In a football game, the average possessions, correct me if I'm wrong, is probably around 11, anywhere around 11 or 10, 11 to 12 possessions are about what you get in a game. If you get 10 possessions, it's a weird game. If you get like 13 or 14, you probably got turnovers. So it's, it's somewhere around 11 is about the average of possessions. It kind of just works that way every single game. And the way it works is you're probably only going to score on a quarter of those possessions. You get 11 possessions, you might score on five, might, might score on four of them. You might mix in a couple of touchdowns, three touchdowns, a field goal here or there. You might score four or five of them, but you're not going to score on a majority of the possessions that you get. So clearly, if you take away possessions, you're going to keep a team score down. And if you add possessions, you're going to score more points. I mean, this all comes down to points. And I think when you look at this offense with Mitch Trubisky at the quarterback, you still have young skill players in Najee and the young wide receivers, and you have a very young you have a young offensive line. This they need possessions. They are going to be figuring it out as it goes over the course of the year. This is a team that is very much going to have to take the ball away. So if you're gonna so if eleven is the average in possessions, they're probably gonna have to average maybe an extra possession a game. Anywhere between 12 and 13, I think, to score enough points to get to Neil's previous points, the point differential yep. that they need to be to be competitive and to win the AFC North. They're going to have to be a top five team in takeaway. And on terms of the margin, they can't give it away because this team is not going to be good enough offensively to give away possessions. They need a bunch of possessions and they need to be efficient with those possessions your thoughts neil now let, let's let's look at it more philosophically than this and th this is why i'm going to to endorse the idea of takeaways more so than margin i'm not saying that margin is not important i am saying specifically though it defines it, the takeaways piece of it defines more of how you are positioning your team to play and i'll put it like this because if you are focusing on uh margin 
more. Not that there's a choice between one or the other, but just this is the message that you're sending. You're telling your defense to go take the ball away. Then you're telling your offense to not turn it over. All right, here's the converse of that. And this is why Kansas City is important and to a degree Buffalo. Kansas City, with a massive amount of takeaways, clearly they got the message, go take the ball away. You know what they told their offense, though? Go score points. Sometimes that results in in giving up takeaways. I know that seems weird, but the, the point is get the ball back and then work the percentages on your side. When you're Kansas City, you can afford Patrick Mahomes taking a risk or two. Now, it didn't work out so well for them in the AFC Championship game. And again, as I've said a thousand times, hats off to Cincinnati for a brilliant defensive performance in the second half of that game. But if you're if you're Kansas City, you're taking those odds every time. You get me the ball back, I'm going to score more often than I'm not. To your point, Lance, if nine is the number, ten is the number, whatever it is, for, for possessions in a game, if you score on five of them, you're a tough team to beat. And frankly, you're not losing very often if you take the ball away twice. So if you get two turnovers a game, which would give you nowadays 34, previously 32, that's a lot of takeaways. I understand that there's an issue if you give the ball up 30 times, but that's not the point. The idea here is giving your offense the opportunity to attack the field. That's what Kansas City does. That's why they're good. And frankly, the Steelers in two games couldn't have taken... They, they couldn't have turned the ball over once. It wouldn't have mattered. They had to score. They had to attack. They didn't. They kept the game close at halftime, and then Kansas City just blew up. So when you're playing good offensive teams, you have to be more aggressive offensively. And sometimes the result of that is you you turn it over. Along with that, the, the main thing that I want to say here, along as far as margin goes, is it's open to outliers. Somebody help me Absolutely. out. I'm pretty sure – there was a game this season in which the Steelers had a plus four margin in a win. Which game that was, was Tennessee? That? that was Tennessee. That was Tennessee. The game they had no business winning. It's because they had a plus four takeaway margin, and that's great. I'm not. I'm not speaking against them. But what does that do to your margin for the course of the season? Does that really show you overall how good the Steelers were at doing that? There were games they didn't take the ball away at all. I mean, it doesn't even out like that. You can't say their average is two then. They won a game without a takeaway. That's not good. So you have to look at the raw number of takeaways. That's what's important overall. The average per game, it's important. So taking the ball away is absolutely critical for the Steelers this year because they need as many darts as possible to throw at the board to score points. And yeah, they're going (laughs) to... Here's the thing. What you're going to see, and I'm going to get it. Should I segue into mine, Lance? Go ahead. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to, to totally hijack that or anything. My third one, and this is just because I'm on a roll right now, is yards per attempt and passing as a team. I'm going to continue with the same momentum as far as aggression of offensive um, uh, play calling and decision-making goes. I am not sure the Steelers have the skill to be overly aggressive, but I don't also think that they necessarily have to. What they have to do, though, is get chunk plays that come with being an efficient team, being an effective offense. Um, and I, I'll use this to illustrate it. And this is really interesting because this, this is not the conclusion I thought I was going to come to when I was looking into this. Last season, the eight division winners, in just unfortunately order of division, 
Bengals were third in yards per attempt. Chiefs were eight. Cowboys were fourth. Packers were seventh. Bucks were fifth. Rams were second. Bills were 14th. Titans were 19th. Let's start with the Titans. Why are the Titans so far down on that stat that I'm telling you is important for a division champion to win? One, they played in a shitty division. <laughs> okay. We saw what happened to Tennessee uh, both in the playoffs and both when, when they traveled to Pittsburgh in December. Uh, they fell apart. They just, the Titans were just a weird, fluky team, really up and down. They earned the wins that they had, but they earned the losses that they had and might have, you know, needed a, a, another loss or two. And playing against a terrible division, um, it was almost a bye week when you play Houston. I mean, they were, Houston was terrible last season. So was Jacksonville. <laughs> Jacksonville, Jacksonville fired their coach after 10 games amid mutiny among their, their personnel. It, it's not hard to beat that team. I don't know what the record was against them. I'm hoping they beat them four times, but maybe I'm wrong. The Titans were just, they were catastrophically up and down all season, and they lost at home in the playoffs after a bye. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Titan with the Titans. Let's call them an outlier. But if you really want to talk about the outlier, you look at Buffalo. Buffalo at 14th overall. They were, I think, 6.9 yards per attempt, which is not very high. But they were 14th overall, largely because of this group that I just read off, Buffalo probably had the most balance of, of any offense. Balance, I would not say tops big play offenses. The Rams, the Bengals, uh, the Bucks. these were big play offensive teams. The Cowboys, believe it or not, um, they love going downfield. They did a great job offensively last year. The Bills fell a little bit shorter of that, in my opinion, because what they really said was more of we're going to deny points and then we are not going to turn the ball over. They put the ball in their hands, in, in the hands of their quarterback on the ground 120 times. Josh Allen responded with over 700 rushing yards. I don't think he quite got the, the um, not recognition necessarily, but Allen had a great season overall. They didn't throw as much, and he did not take a whole lot of chances downfield. They connected on all their chances. Stephon Diggs is, in my opinion, one of the three best receivers in the game. They had an explosive offense, but so much of that is predicated on Allen's ability to read the field, and they coached him up well enough to say, we don't need you taking chances. You know what he did against Pittsburgh, Lance? He took chances, and they didn't work out. Throwing into swirling winds, passes were all over the place. He wasn't very good against the Steelers and one of the, the few losses they had last season. They ran the ball well in, in weeks two through 17. They were a solid running team, not a great one. They were a solid running team. They weren't a great passing team. They were a solid passing team. And they scored a truckload of points despite not having huge advantages in any of these areas. If there is one team the Steelers need to watch offensively to see what they do, it's the Buffalo Bills. I still say you need yards per attempt, which is really the, the presence of completions as well as deep as, as big plays on completions. But you need to be able to move the ball uh, through the air, down the field consistently. The Steelers were, what, 6.3 or less um, over the last two seasons combined. They're one of the weakest passing offensive teams in the game, and they will probably be closer to that than they will be to the Rams at second overall, or I'm trying to remember who was first here, but it, they will be more in line with a team that is not getting the ball down the field very well. 
They will try not to turn the ball over more than anything. And that's going to cost them. They have to do that because I, the way I see it, I don't think they have the ability to get the ball down the field consistently. Well, I don't think they're going to complete a ton of deep, uh, of deep passes, but if they're going to win the division, they've got to take those chances and they're going to have to score because again, Lance over the course of 17 weeks, they cannot play to win a game 20 to 17. It's just not going to work. They have to be able to make plays. So for me, that's why it needs to change. The bills showed us that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. Great defensive team, very balanced, explosive offensive team that didn't have to take a ton of chances. And they still turned the ball over a little bit above average, if, if I recall correctly. But they had a weapon, a quarterback, that could rush for 700 yards. Everyone's going to tell me that Mitch Trubisky can run for 700 yards, even though he doesn't have 700 rushing yards in, in 57 career starts or whatever it is. He's not Josh Allen is really the point here. Um, yeah, yes, he did six, play for five, the Bills two. last season. Yeah, he's not 6'5", 250. He's not a, a, one of the five most gifted athletes on the planet, the way Josh Allen is, plain and simple. That, that's just the fact. Um, Trubisky can can run a little bit. My opinion, it's going to be because he doesn't see the field and he's running out of panic more than anything, but they're not going to call a whole lot of runs for him. He's going to have to dictate and manage the game. His ability, though, to get the ball to that 15 to 18 yard range is going to be the difference in the Steelers scoring uh, the, the 20 points a game average that they had or the 27 that somebody uh, mentioned earlier. They're going to have to find ways to get over 30 points a game in a few of these if they want to win them. And I, to me, it, it starts and ends with your passing game. And yards per attempt is one of the cleanest, uh, most effective stats to describe the performance of an offense that we can see simply by the fact that six of the eight division winners last year and both Super Bowl teams, all four con- or three of the four conference championship teams were top 10 in that stat. You need yeah. to be able to throw the ball down the field. And I and, don't know if the Steelers are going to do that, but they're going to have to. In fact, Neil, I'm, I'm going to even uh, bolster your point even more. Three of the four uh, teams in the championship games were top three in terms of yards per attempt. Bengals were number really? one at 8.7. 49ers were number two in 8.6, and the Rams were number three at 8.1. And when you look at that NFC West, the Cardinals were 7.8, and the Seahawks were 7.7. That entire division was very good in terms of throwing the ball downfield. Also, if you take a further look, the Raiders, who made the playoffs, were 7.7. The Cowboys were 7.7. They made the playoffs. The Packers were 7.6, and the Bucks were 7.4. So, you're looking at that stat, almost every single team that was good who went to the playoffs were, had the ability to challenge defenses downfield. Because bottom line, again, when you're trying to choreograph 11 guys to do the, the right thing consistently, you better get some yards and chunks. You just can't bank on slowly matriculating the ball downfield without mistakes and, and I want to say big up to my man superstar Kwame Law and my man Ahmad Jamal it is ironic that both of those guys are on the show at the same time man I've known those guys forever my brother the superstar Kwame Law make sure you go to superstar Kwame Law TV to get the best mixes uh hip-hop soul house anything you want in terms of a mix Make sure you go there and get your nice Saturday mix on. Crenshaw Cougars in the house. Willie West, Crenshaw Cougars. Crenshaw is a famous high school 
in Los Angeles, very famous for its basketball team. So big up to superstar Kwame Law, big up to Ahmad Jamal. It's ironic that both those guys are uh, on, on the show like that. So let me jump into my last one. And my last one, and you could throw any name here. My last one is Akello Witherspoon plays at a Pro Bowl level. Let me give you a stat from an ESPN article, and it read it reads from week 13 through the end of the season, Witherspoon allowed a passer rating of just 20.2 on throws into his coverage. And it could be anybody. When I look at the Steeler defense, I think it's going to be critical to their success that they hold teams to anywhere between 17 to 19 points per game to get the point differential to a level where they can compete for a division title for the AFC North. I think critical in that is going to be their cornerback play. When you look at their cornerback room, they brought in a free agent from Buffalo. Ironically, we talked a lot about Buffalo. Um, (laughs) And, but when you look at their corners, there's not one particular corner. I think that stands out. I think, you know, when we were talking, Neil and I were talking before the program, maybe the strength of their cornerback room is they have a bunch of guys that are versatile that allow you to do a lot of different things specifically in each particular game where you can really craft a a defensive game plan to your opponent and kind of change things up and present different things on a more so on a week to week basis because you have versatile players. I think if they can get a corner and maybe it's a Kelly Witherspoon to play at a pro bowl level combined with their front seven, then you start, you start cooking with gas if they can get their secondary overall to play like that secondary that had Minka, Edmonds, Nelson, and um, why am I forgetting the the, the, the second corner? Joe Hayden well, and, and Hayden. If you can get their secondary to play like that secondary, coupled with their front seven, and that combination of pass rush in the corners, and the corners step up, then I think – you know, that combination of pressure and coverage gets you the turnovers. It gets the score down to where this team can get that point differential to a point where they can compete for a division title because I think it has to be around 5.5. I mean, they cannot be a minus 55 this year and, and compete for a division title. They're going to have to be a plus 50, plus 60, somewhere around there, in my opinion, to win a division. So, my third one is Akello Witherspoon plays at a Pro Bowl level. Your thoughts, Bill? I think Witherspoon represents um, the idea of depth and solidity, which is really what they need, um, what every team needs out of, of uh, their cornerbacks. And I think we are getting to a point where teams are letting third receivers hit the market And those receivers are making 12 plus million dollars a year from wherever it is that they happen to play on the field. And teams are drafting what I feel to be high level talent in rounds two and three. There are so many more receivers today uh, who can play at a high level. And I'm, I'm dating myself here. I'm, I'm, I'm aging what I'm talking about tremendously bad, but I look back on the 2014 draft 
I, I reviewed that heavily. My favorite player in that draft next to Ryan Shazier, and I have the receipts. I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. My favorite player in that draft was Odell Beckham. I found it utterly perplexing that anybody legitimately thought Sammy Watkins was a better receiver than Odell Beckham was. I looked at Beckham and this is a guy that can start today and get 130 targets at the NFL level. Um, very, very talented route runner, incredible feet, incredible balance, good hands. Um, he's explosive. It, it, I think the line I used was if somehow Beckham falls to 15, I don't care about anything else. The Steelers are running to the podium to take this guy because there is no reason he should be available at 15. He's that good. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm more or less vindicated than that. There are players today, there are multiple players at his level coming into the draft every year. When the Steelers got Chase Claypool, he was the ninth receiver taken at where do they get him 56 or something like that? And a lot of those guys are flat out freaks. There were some really amazing college receivers that were taken. Every team is getting two of these guys and the best teams. Now it looks like they're adding three of them. I want to, I want to say that to segue into a, a comment that was made earlier, as far as Tyreek Hill goes, Tyreek Hill was not Tyreek Hill last season. If you've watched him play a lot, not the same guy. Um, Tyreek Hill is a good receiver. He is not a, a, a great pure receiver. He's insanely fast. And I think he shares this in common with, with Antonio Brown in his prime. He is probably the most conditioned athlete alive. I mean, he, he had the, the stamina, the sprinting stamina of like an Olympic 400-meter runner. What they would do... It, it really, it's very simple. Andy Reid's offense is not overly complex. They ran people in motion a bunch to, to throw off coverage, and Hill would run like f diagonally down the field, 10 yards outside the hashes, and then cut all the way back to the backside end zone or backside baseline. With that, Mahomes would buy himself some time, roll out, and launch the ball down the field whatever defender was covering Hill at that point was dragging ass trying to keep up with him because nobody's as conditioned as that guy is. I can speak directly to this. The older you get, the faster you ain't. Okay. I don't know how much Tyreek Hill has left in him. I'll be honest though. If he's coming to me to tell me he wants 27 million a year over the next four years at age 28. And here's the Miami dolphins willing to give me five picks in the next two drafts, including their one and two this year for him. I'm helping him pack. He's not nearly what he used to be. And I'll tell you what, I record this right now and throw it back in my face in December. If I am wrong. Okay. You're yo, going wait, to see, wait, wait, let me give you a drum roll. You are going to see Tyreek Hill fall off a, a large amount this year because there is not a worse quarterback in the game than, than, Tua not going to say it, then Tua for <laughs> Hill and Hill's skill set. They're going to keep Hill short. They're going to keep Hill basically as as a, a, an extended running back, and they're going to try to get him to break plays from behind the line of scrimmage. I'm not saying that he can't do that. I'm saying that's not his game. That's not who the Chiefs built up. He's not that good of a receiver. He's good in the open field. He'll, he'll get his. He'll eat. I'm not saying he's not going to do anything. But the point here overall is there are so many good receivers 
to pay one of them who is so specialized, my opinion, is insane. Okay? Brilliant move by the Chiefs. And yeah, it does hurt them now. In two years, they're going to be reaping the benefits of this because there are plenty of Tyreek Hills available in the draft. I think the Steelers got one in the fourth round this year. Same type of player. Very quick, very specialized, not a pure number one receiver, whatever the hell that means. He's a guy that can make plays on the football field from different depths. That's what Hill is, except Hill's 28, and you just signed him to a massive contract that goes well past normal expectations, even for an elite athlete like he is. So I'm, what's I'm the scared. point in all this, Lance? It's that teams are so package-friendly. They, they, they are able to get so many talented receivers. You need to match that with your secondary, not even just your top two cornerbacks. Okay. So the stuff about Hayden and Nelson, I get it, but you need three of them now. You have to have a guy in the slot. To, to play high-level football. And he has to be versatile. He has to know what he's doing, which is not the easiest thing to do. He has to be able to play in, in tight quarters, which requires extremely loose hips, which is a, a, a specific skill, in my opinion. And he needs to be able to, to, to roll outside because certain coverages, you're going to have to carry that guy through most of the field. It's, it's a very difficult job. And then on top of it, you need depth. So you need like four of them. Guess what the Steelers did this offseason? They signed... Sorry. Four starting level cornerbacks. Add Cam Sutton to the three that they brought in. So they signed three. They have four of them. I'm not saying they're Jalen Ramsey, but I am saying that these guys are starting caliber players at a multitude of positions. They are planning to be assaulted through the air like every team is doing today. My opinion, yes, Witherspoon playing at a Pro Bowl level would be great. I think overall, the point is they need above board play from all of their cornerbacks. Witherspoon might be the most talented. I think he did the best from what we've seen of him. Let's keep in mind, though, Kella Witherspoon was acquired for nothing from Seattle. Uh, he didn't play half the season in Pittsburgh. It's it's not, you know, we missed this guy. There, there are reasons. Witherspoon did well in San Francisco for a year. He was a dog for a year in San Francisco. Seattle paid him, brought him in, he didn't even make their team. That's why he traded. That's why they traded him for nothing. So let, let's not, you know, assume that this guy is, is the greatest cornerback we've ever seen just yet. Okay. I like him. I We saw great things from him and we hope to see more of that. But it, it's the overall depth of the unit that's going to be tested. It's going to be important. And it's clearly, clearly the position the Steelers emphasize beyond the quarterback the most this offseason. And I think they did a good job of it. If I recall right, did you give me your third one, Neil? Um, yes, that was several rants ago. That was yards per attempt. Okay, I did yards so, per attempt, division wins, and point differential. And my three were top five in the red zone. <laughs> Steelers defense is uh, top five in takeaways. And Akella Witherspoon plays at a Pro Bowl level. Before we get out of here, I want to thank everybody for hopping into the chat. Oh, big up to my brothers. Uh, Ahmad Jamal, my boy, superstar Kwamala, big up to Claude um, as well, big up to Corey Hatcher, Coach Hatcher, big up to Mel, big up to everybody that chimed in, Double H, Mark Tobin, everybody else that chimed into the program. Neil, before we get out of here, we talked a lot about, you know, things that have to happen, six things that have to happen for the Steelers to win the AFC North. How many wins do you think they need to win the AFC North before we get out of here? oddly enough, I think this is where the Steelers are at an advantage. I honestly, I think nine wins could do it just because I think all four teams 
can beat the hell out of each other and split or go two and four, maybe four and two, but probably split all of them against each other. That drags you down a little bit. So maybe nine wins might do it. Probably 10, but I think maybe nine wins might do it. Yeah, I'm thinking 10. Mel said 10. Ahmad Jamal said 10. I'm going to say 10. I think nine puts you in a precarious level precarious place i'm gonna say 10 i think if you get 10 wins it's probably in this bet, division, bet the over i'd, yeah, I'd put 10. it at nine and a half really if, yeah, if yeah. i was setting the line i put it at nine and a half yeah i think 10 because i think deshaun watson is going to be out at least you know at yeah. least 10 games right that, that, that's also a huge factor in yeah, this as well you can tee and, off on on cleveland with the worst yeah. quarterback in the division some well maybe i don't know i'm not even sure yeah they, they gotta get than, that cleveland one early they gotta get that cleveland one yeah. early Talk, let's save that for a later show lance how critically important is that second week against cleveland they have to yes. win that game yeah, they, they calling it now they have early. to win that game yeah they they, they gotta pound cleveland um yeah, so I, I think it's 10. I think you go 10 and 7 is division because I think the division is going to be competitive, you know, and, and largely with most divisions. I mean, the difference is the quarterback position, you know, and I think it'll help the Steelers if Watson is out for a majority of the season and then they now have the third best QB, which is still debatable. I don't know how much better Trubisky is than Jacoby Brissett. Uh, some people might argue he's not better than Jacoby Brissett. But I think he's clearly not better than Watson. So you bump up to at least the third best quarterback in a division. It's and, week three, uh, by the way, not week two, but it is yeah, their week short three. week game on the road. So, so that 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 that's that a big one. Of course, if you guys listen to our previous schedule show, uh, where we picked the schedule, I think I picked the Steelers to start for it. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how or why. <laughs> One of the three was a win over the Jets. Start, oh, First Claude win. Bishop. And my man Claude Bishop swung for the fences with 11. Wow. If the Steelers go 11 and 6, hide the women and children. Oh, God. It, yes. I'll retire be, if they go 11 and 6. They'll be a ticket date parade downtown if they go 11 and 6. But with that, I, man, I want to wow. thank you. Neil, as always, for hopping onto the program. Thank everybody for the lively chat today. Big up to everybody for spending your morning, hopefully with your coffee and some Steeler football. And with that, we're going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Go Steelers.